so I'm going to read the first three verses of Genesis 12, do a little bit of comment on them and a little bit of teaching, and then we're going to go through the rest uh, four through nine. So let's start by reading Genesis 12, one to three together. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, what we're going to see here is uh, starting in verse four, God calls Abraham to leave his home country Uh, And then to leave the place where he settles after his home country to a land that God will show him. And so that's the flavor of Genesis 12, 1 to 3. It's Abraham listening to God's voice and obeying and believing that God will do what he said primarily here. I will bless you. I will make a great nation out of you. I will bless those who bless you and those who intend harm to you. I'm going to be against them and Abraham in you. In your body, in your offspring, all the families of the earth, all the nations will be blessed through you. And Abraham believes the Lord. He believes God who shows him this revelation. Now, kids, perhaps with your coloring pages, I know one of your sheets has places to to draw. Uh, What actually is the the reality for Abraham is this, kids. Uh, Abraham lived in a day without planes, trains, or hovercrafts. What he had was, or hoverboards for some of you kids, right? Uh, What he had was camels, donkeys, mules, and carts, okay? And so basically when Abraham traveled, he traveled on foot or by animal. And what we're not told in this text is Abraham was very wealthy, not just with physical metals like gold and silver and precious stones, but in livestock and in people. Abraham was a shepherd, and he had shepherds under him who tended his massive flocks and animals. So for Abraham to move, kids, he had to take an entire entourage with him. And how many of you kids have ever been camping? Let me see your hands. Like with tents, not like Airbnb with air conditioning. Tents. Funny story, my son knows nothing of tents and that kind of camping. So when he says, can we go camping? He means, can we rent an Airbnb that has like a pool and heat and air conditioning and beds and bunk beds? He's like, that's camping, right? That's not real camping. Camping is like freezing, on a, sleeping on a root. You know, you wake up, your neck is all cranked, and then you're going to burn eggs over a fire. It's fantastic. Anyone love camping? Yeah, it's, it's great. Why do we do it? But for Abraham... He is literally taking hundreds and hundreds of people. In fact, if we were to travel to Genesis 14, two chapters later, it it says born to Abraham's house were 300 plus men just born to his household. That's not counting the women, the children, and other people he had on hire. This is a massive amount of people. It's not just him taking his wife and his little entourage. He's, He's rolling deep. Okay? He's got a whole village with him going, and in addition to massive amounts of animals. So perhaps, kids, you could draw that. You could draw the camels. You could draw the goats. You could draw the sheep. You could draw the donkeys. You could draw the tents, and you could draw the carts, taking all of Abraham's goods along with him. What does Abraham have to do with you 
in 2023? That's a good question, right? This is an ancient person. How could uh, Abraham be relevant to me in 2023? The fact is, if you are a Christian, and if you're not, uh, Abraham is very relevant to 2023. Here's why. If you are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, and you would call yourself a Christian, uh, Abraham is actually your forefather in the faith. Abraham is the forefather of all Christians. Christians claim Abraham as their, if you will, originator in the faith. And this is clear in Galatians 5. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, and he writes this in chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So the, the, the controversy and problem in Galatia, re- real quick, is this. The Galatians were being tempted to leave faith in Jesus, to leave trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, and add to faith dietary laws in Leviticus, calendar laws in Leviticus, um, cal- uh, civil laws. Basically, they were to become proselyte Jewish and live out the Jewish regulations of the Old Testament and believe in Jesus. And Paul's like, absolutely not. If you leave Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, you have uh, departed from the faith, you have fallen from grace, you're no longer clinging to Christ, you're resting in yourself and your own works. And so he's arguing here, stay with Jesus and resist all other additions to him. And he says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you, capital S, that means Holy Spirit, when we see the English translations with a capital S, we know it's the Holy Spirit, And he works miracles among you. So the Galatian church experienced real miracles by the Holy Spirit through the members of the church. And he says, does he do this by your keeping the law, by doing a good job? Or does he do this by your hearing with faith, meaning the gospel and belief and trust in God and his promises? Now look at verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness... Know then that those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, that that is a complex way of saying this. If you believe or trust or have faith in Jesus Christ, you are just like Abraham who is the father of faith or of our faith. Okay? So Abraham has a bunch of children And they're not just Jewish children. They are those who have the faith of Abraham or faith in God or faith in God's promises like Abraham did. So let me read it again. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, sons often in the New Testament uh, is wrapped up with inheritance. Remember, this is an ancient book. This is a 2,000-year-old letter here. And so it was, it was a patriarchal culture. And so the sons received the inheritance. But here, sons and daughters are included in the word sons because all Christians are co-heirs with Christ. Okay, so why is Abraham relevant to you? Because Christian Abraham is your forefather in the faith or faith, okay? Now, why is Abraham relevant if you're not a Christian? Did you know that the three major monotheistic religions on the planet all claim Abraham as their forefather? Did you know that? All three, Christianity, Judaism, and the Muslim faith. 
they all would say Abraham is the forefather of our faith. The Muslims through Ishmael, Abraham's son, which we'll get into in a few weeks. Uh, the Jews obviously rejecting the New Testament, Judaism rather, rejecting uh, the New Testament and Jesus as the Messiah, rather clinging to the, the 39 books of the Old Testament, still waiting for the Messiah. But yet Abraham is not only their ethnic forefather, but their forefather in the faith. And so this is interesting. Uh, I like charts. This is the major religious groups in the world from 1945 to 2022. Now, they break it up a little strangely, I think, to favor some of the, the smaller ones. So this says Sunni Islam at the top, which is why it's uh, 1,543,271,481. Now, how did they get that exact number? I have no idea. Like they go and ask everybody. I mean, I, I have no idea how these statisticians, statisticians, how they do it. Anyway, the Roman Catholic Church is the second one. They're coming in with a, with a small 1,250,319,000. Not one more, not one less. <laughs> and then here you have, you have Hindus, which are the third. Then you have Protestant Christians, Buddhists, Eastern Orthodox Christians, uh, Shia Muslims, different kinds of Buddhists, Shintoism, and, and going. Then you even have a, a section for Anglican Christians. Like they get their own little bar, which is great. So I, I would lump some, some of the Christians together. Uh, but anyway, you, you get the idea here. Uh, Orthodox Judaism is way at the bottom with 6,943,334. Uh, which is still a significant amount of people. Okay? But for us in America, we understand, especially us in Pittsburgh, and especially if you live close to Squirrel Hill, like you understand the Jewish religion, right? You understand Judaism. And the Muslims, I think everybody understands the Muslim faith. But we as Christians, uh, Judaism and the Muslims all claim Abraham as their father. So here, here's, here's the point. How can you understand worldwide religion, and even in your own city here in Pittsburgh, the, the religious differences without understanding Abraham? How do you make sense of the world without understanding Abraham? And now that you know this, some of you, you can have conversations with your Muslim friends or your Jewish friends who are practicing Judaism because you share, in some sense, the same forefather with different lines following and with a different, if you will, redemptive historical trajectory. All right, so back to Genesis 12, one to three. The Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, he's not Abraham yet, he's Abram, his name will be changed soon. Go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, imagine men, if you were to say to your wife, hey, babe, we got to move. And we got to take everybody and everything with us. Where are we going? I don't know. Like, your wife okay with that? So in some sense, it's miraculous that, that Sarai, his wife, was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. You, know, let's, you lead the way. Wherever that is, and I'll follow you. And that's pretty amazing. 
Okay? And what kind of relationship positively did Abraham have with his wife that he was able to convince her to go with him? Right? And, and to just leave their comfort, leave their, uh, their, their wealthy living. And I'll show you that in a minute where they were living. It was, it, was a, it was a great city of commerce. And clearly he had a lot of wealth. So he did well for himself in Ur of the Chaldeans. And the promise that God had for Abram, Abram at this point was, listen, I'm going to make out of you a great nation. You're going to have a lot of kids. His name does mean father, okay? But he has no kids yet, and he's old already. And so it's a promise of God that Abraham is excited about. He believes God. And in addition to saying, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, I'm going to make your name great. Now, Pete, in your study guide, uh, the, the GCC study guide should have come around already. Does someone have one? Throw it up in the air for me to see. All right, so we got them already. Perfect. Last week's Pete Rue, who creates these, did a great job in pointing out that in the Tower of Babel, they said, let us make a name for ourselves. And that was, that was the big problem with the Tower of Babel was they, the, those people, the descendants of Noah, did not want to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it as God commanded. Rather, they wanted to stop. They wanted to build a glory tower to themselves, and they wanted to make a name for themselves. Well, here, this is the opposite. You see, Abraham's not trying to make a name for himself. Rather, God's saying, I'm going to make a name for you, Abraham. I will bless you and make your name great. That's intentional. That was the former chapter, Genesis 11. Now we're getting into the very first part of chapter 12. And remember, when the original letter of Genesis was written, you don't have all these chapter breaks and verse headings. That just helps us navigate a huge, complex Bible. And so in context, you're supposed to pick that up and say, huh, this is different. God is saying, I'm going to do this for you. But when people say, we're going to do this for ourselves, God shuts it down, right? Confuses the languages, disperses the people all over the globe. So that, and look, it's so that you will be a blessing. He blesses in order that Abraham would bless others. Not The, the end is not blessing Abraham himself. Rather, the end is so that he will be a blessing. Is that clock right? Or am I in the twilight zone? Oh, my man. He, he got me. <laughs> it's like, dude, I got pages and notes left. That's not good. All right. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Okay? And so the, the promise here is, I'm going to be your safety, Abraham. Those who are friendly towards you and have a, a kind disposition, I'm going to bless them as well. My blessing is going to be all over you. And those who are favorable to you, the blessing is going to flow from you to them. But I'm also going to protect you and those who come after you or dishonor you, I am going to curse them. In other words, Abraham, I'm going to be your protection as you go. And then this promise in you, all the nations will be blessed. Now, we will, we will get to that later. So I'm going to stop on that verse, and I'm going to move right to verse 4. So Abram listens to God, and he went, as the Lord told him, and Lot with him. Now, we don't know who Lot is yet, because we didn't go to the end of Genesis 11. But we will go there in a minute. So for now, Lot is Abram's nephew his brother who died's son, his brother 
who passed away. It's his son. And so Abram is taking care of his nephew and his name's Lot. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, Abram is the descendant of Shem. If you remember, when Noah and his sons got on the ark, it was Noah and who? Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's right. Abram is a descendant of Shem, and you can see that in Genesis 11.10, which we won't do right now, but that's really important for you to see, okay? Now, we'll go to Genesis 11 and pick up at the end of the chapter. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Who is Terah? Terah fathered Abraham. So Terah is Abraham's father, Terah, and he is a descendant of Shem. Nahor and Haran and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah and the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, keep that in your mind, Ur of the Chaldeans. To go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So this right here is Ur, you are, and that is right here, southeastern Iraq, right by the Euphrates River. Okay? So this is ancient uh, Middle East during Abraham's day. There's the Mediterranean right there. You can see right on the bottom right, uh, the Persian Gulf. Okay? And so from Ur of the Chaldeans, he's going to travel all the way up into very northern Iraq or even uh, northeastern Syria. That's a, that's a long way to travel on foot with tons of cattle and hundreds of people. Like imagine that journey, okay? And so this is what Abram did with his father, Terah. They went from Ur of the Chaldeans. So, so let, me, let me make it plain to you. Uh, if you didn't know, the Jewish people came from Abraham. Okay, there were no Jewish people before Abraham. They did not exist. They were not an ethnicity. And so if we were to speak in modern terms, what ethnicity would Abram be? He's Iraqi in modern terms. But in ancient days, he's from Ur of the Chaldeans. Urian? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Now, here's what's interesting about Ur. Okay, we learned this from Joshua. Joshua said to all the people, now, now hold on. I realize some of you don't know who Joshua is. This is my great sin. I assume everybody knows the Old Testament, and so I apologize. 
Okay, Joshua was after Moses. So you have Exodus, the, the Genesis, then Exodus. Exodus is Moses and his story. Then Moses' successor is Joshua. Joshua is to lead the Jewish people into the promised land, the land of Canaan, and they are to take it by force uh, and, and settle there as the land God promised to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, then to J- Jacob's 12 sons, which are the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so Joshua is giving some history before they go into the land to take it. And this is what he says. Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. That's important. Abraham or Abram was not a worshiper of Yahweh or the God who calls Abram in Genesis 12. So who was he worshiping? Well, we have this helpful little map and this helpful note in the ESV study Bible, which I highly recommend. There's at least one on the back table. The ancient city of Ur lies 186 miles southeast of modern Baghdad on a bend of the original course of the Euphrates River. Major excavations took place at this site in 1922 to 1934 under the direction of Sir Leonard Woolley. This diagram of the city represents the third dynasty of Ur, and it includes a central palace and a temple complex. This right here, palace and temple complex. The latter, the temple complex, has at its center the ziggurat of Ur-Namu. Now a ziggurat, imagine a a pyramid with a bunch of steps, but it looks like a pyramid and it's an ancient temple, okay? So inside of this complex is this ziggurat to Namu, Uh, of Namu, rather, and he was the king of Ur. That is dedicated to the moon god, Nana. Any grandmas named Nana in here? (laughs) We know who you're named after. Home home playing Moon Knight on repeat, right, on Disney Plus again and again. So, So the moon god is, look, at the center of worship in Ur of the Chaldeans. So who did Abraham worship? He worshiped Nana, the moon god. He was a moon god worshiper. Listen, in New Testament terms, if we're going to be Pauline, that's a demon. So we could say Abram and his father Terah and his whole family were worshiping demons. Not too good, right? But in grace, unearned, undeserved, even demerited favor, God says, I choose you. Worshipper of demons, Abram. And now you're going to worship me, the true and living God. Hey, that's a beautiful thing. So God pulls a Iraqi, Urian, moon god worshiper, lost, worshiping demons, probably sacrificing And he says, you are mine. And not only are you mine, but I'm going to do amazing things with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. 
I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. And out of you, former moon god worshiper, all the nations will be blessed. That's grace, friends. That's, he did nothing to earn God's favor or choosing. That's what Paul means when he says, God chose us, period. No merit of the individual. All of God's choosing. And so, Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot with him. Remember, Lot's his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, real quick, back to here. This is Haran. So now the text has taken us from Ur all the way up to here, Haran. And now Abram's going to depart from Haran, and he's going to go all the way down here to Shechem, way down there by the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea where, where there's no outlet, so it's just this giant salt uh, sea. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, verse 5, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions— which were a lot that they had gathered and all the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Now, remember Noah's children, Shem, Ham, Ham, and Japheth. What was Ham's descendant's name? He was cursed. Canaan. This is the land that Canaan settled in and his descendants. Okay, Ham's grandchildren, grandchildren, the, the descendants of Ham. This is where Abraham is going to. And remember, here it is. It's down by the Dead Sea, Shechem, the land of Canaan, but down by the Dead Sea, Jerusalem, that's Canaan. Okay, and so let's continue. They set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to that place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, all the, all the scholars of Genesis will say here at this point, this is the first time that God appears to Abraham in some kind of manifestation. He appears to him, really. And the response of Abraham, look, is to build an altar to the Lord and to sacrifice on it. Why do you build an altar other than to sacrifice? And you remember, two weeks ago, we traced the sacrifices Remember, starting in the Garden of Eden, God kills the, the first animal to clothe Adam and Eve, and then there's sacrifices with Cain and Abel, and then with Noah when he, got, he gets off of the ark and he sacrifices. And here again, is a, we have a, a tradition of sacrifice to the Lord, which will ultimately point to the ultimate sacrifice, the Lord Jesus himself, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And so here, in response to God appearing to Abram, so he spoke to him before, said go, but here he appears. There is a distinction. And the response is a sacrifice. Verse 8, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the, on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. 
And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So what do we make of this? Okay, Here's what I want you to see out of this text. And again, we're going to go back to the beginning. Okay? We're, going to, we're not going to lose Abram here. Over the next several weeks, we're going to continue with the story of Abram. But this is his appearance in the Bible, Genesis 11 at the very end. Then you have uh, this call of God on him, and he obeys by faith. Look again at verse 3. The promise is, I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, you might have read over that in the past and not noticed the New Testament connection or the gospel amplification, okay? From Abraham would come not just seed multiple, but a seed, pointing back to Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. Okay? Galatians points this out in 3, 8, and 9. Look at this. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, Gentiles are non-Jewish people, justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Notice this. Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, says, when God said in verse 3 of Genesis 12, in you all the nations will be blessed, God was preaching the gospel to Abraham. That's what he says. Look. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Ethnos, ethnicities, all peoples. Now, here's how this plays out. If we were to knock on that verse and it crack open, here's what would be inside. Okay? Abraham would have Isaac. Isaac would have Jacob. Jacob would have 12 sons, which would become peoples, which we call tribes. One of those tribes is Judah. And from Judah would come one who is the king, the king of kings. And that one would appear on earth about 2,000 years ago by the name of Jesus Christ. God become man, the creator become creation, to live perfectly in place of his sinful human creatures. And that same God, the lion from the tribe of Judah, went on a Roman cross and was brutalized, not for his own sins, not for anything he had done, but rather as a substitute for all those who would trust in that sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins. That is all packed in to Genesis 12.3. And it was a proto-gospel proclamation to Abraham. Hey, Abraham, look in, look, in you is coming the snake crusher the one who will crush the head of the serpent. And in you, because those who would have faith in your 
great, 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 great grandson, they will be saved. And I will gather more than just your descendants, Abraham, the Jewish people. I'm going to gather people from all tribes, all languages, all ethnicities will come to me and they will worship the true and living God. That's all packed in there. And friends, you, amazingly, are in Genesis 12.3. Because, as the text here says in verse 9, those who are of faith, I hope that's all of us in here, we're trusting in Jesus, we're relying on Him for the forgiveness of our sins, we are the ones of faith, we are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, indeed our forefather in the faith. And so friends, I want to say like Abraham, like Abram in the text, God has been merciful and gracious to you, even if you're not a Christian and you're in this room. If you're in this room under the sound of my voice, God has been massively merciful to you to even hear this good news message. You have the opportunity to trust in the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. You. Don't think of your neighbor. Don't think of the one sitting next to you to die for your sins. But friends, there's a condition. If you reject that mercy, grace, and offer of forgiveness, then God's anger at your sin remains on you. This is John 3.36. To those who do not believe, God's wrath remains on them. If it remains, that means it's there already because God is opposed to our sin and we can't do anything but. And so my encouragement, friends, is take the gift of God, which is His Son, Jesus Christ, predicted and prophesied way back in Genesis 3.15 and continued throughout the book of Genesis Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And in just a few short weeks, we're going to celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Easter or resurrection. Okay? It's, a, it's the Christian holiday. It's bigger than Christmas. It's a bigger deal than Christmas. Because you could have Christmas, and if Jesus didn't die on the cross, we're still in our sin. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Hey, that's the big idea of this sermon is Abraham was called by God to have faith in God and the, the work of Jesus on the cross went backward to Abraham. And for us, it goes forward, right? Jesus paid for your sin, though you wouldn't be around for another 2,000 years if you will trust in him. If you refuse to trust in him, your sin remains on you. That's the deal that God gives us. If you trust in me, I'll put my sin, your sin, on my son. If you do not trust in him, your sin remains on you. Friends, please, believe in Jesus. This is why we worship, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. And so we're going to do that right now with all of, of these friends in the room. Uh, we're going to take communion and sing a song together. So I see many new faces in the room. Here's how we do communion at Eternal City Church. If you are a Christian, if you are trusting in Jesus, we would invite you to take communion with us, okay? If you're not a Christian, or if you're, if you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I, I, would, I would encourage you, refrain from taking communion with us. Here's why. Because it's a symbol 
of a reality of Jesus on the cross for your sin. If you don't have the reality, don't take the symbol. But if you do have the reality, take the symbol. Take it with us in worship. And perhaps tonight for the first time, maybe you do want to believe in Jesus. I would encourage you, take communion as an act of faith, saying, yes, I want Jesus' sins, or Jesus to pay for my sins. That's what I want. And this juice and cracker represents Jesus' body broken and bloodshed for us. And so after we sing a song, I will come out and lead us all in taking communion together. So please hold your elements until we're done singing, and we'll all take communion together as one church as we worship. So if you could stand, the worship team's going to come out, and we're going to sing. Thanks for taking a minute to watch this video. My name is Pastor Chris Moran. I'm one of the pastors at Eternal City Church in Wilkinsburg, Pennsylvania. Eternal City is a church that values biblical authority. We teach the Bible verse by verse, week by week, and we are seeking to eventually preach the whole way through the Bible. We believe that Jesus is God as he claimed to be, and his person and work are the center of the entire Bible. We believe that the Great Commission is still relevant today for Christians, that Christians are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching disciples to obey all that Jesus commanded. Eternal City is a church that values diversity in that we are a church of all kinds of people, cultures, classes, colors, and capacities. We are a church that values community and we seek to see our members hold one another accountable and build each other up in discipleship. We are a church that has a plurality of leadership for pastors and deacons who are servants who serve under the pastors. If this sounds like an interesting church to you, we would love for you to visit our website to find out more about us, eternalcity.org, or come visit us on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m., 1300 Swissville Avenue, Wilkinsburg, PA, 15221. Hope to see you soon.